Let me uh, again welcome you to Big Valley Grace, especially if you're visiting with us. Welcome to all of you over in the venue. Thank you, Jackie, for leading worship over there and the whole team that serves and all of that. Blessings on you. And if you were uh, watching online, we're grateful. I know there's a bunch of you out in the cafe and just really thankful that we're all here um, together. Hey, before I get into this, I... If you want to laugh, you want to have a great evening, uh, on March 15th, our Youth for Christ is ha- has a comedy night right here, and you can come laugh, it's for a good cause, and uh, you go out there and see Ben Wheeler and the team of, for Youth for Christ are right outside those uh, doors. All right, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14, okay, John chapter 14. For those of you that are visiting or watching online for the first time or maybe in the venue or whatever for the first time, uh, we are as a family, as a church family, we're going through what is called the Gospel of John or the Letter of John or the Book of John. And John was um, probably safe to say, probably Jesus's best friend kind of a thing. He actually hung out with Jesus had breakfast with Jesus, he would have had lunch, dinner, lots of meals with Jesus. Uh, They did life together. John would have heard many of the sermons, if not all of the sermons that Jesus preached. John would have been an eyewitness to many, if not all, of the miracles that Jesus performed. John was, was there when Jesus was hanging on a cross. John knew that Jesus had died. John knew where Jesus had been buried. John actually saw the resurrected Jesus. John was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. And what he did was he just recorded much of what he saw, much of what he heard. Now, it's not everything that he saw or everything he heard, but the the gospel of John is just really a way for us all these years later, 2,000 years later, to kind of have an eyewitness account of the life and times of, of Jesus. Now, to start us off, I, I posted something on my Facebook page, and I just wanted to get people's uh, reaction to it. I'm somebody who likes to make definitive statements. And some people can handle definitive statements, and some people can't. Because definitive statements kind of put you back on your heels. A lot of people get spun out when they hear a definitive statement because a definitive statement makes you have to, ooh, do I like that? Do I agree with that? Is, is that right? How do I feel about that statement? And I may not even agree with the statement. I just like making them because it causes you to have to use this thing instead of talking about your feelings or whatever. And here was the phrase that I put on my Facebook page. It was this. There's only one way to get to heaven to be with God. And I ask people, when you hear that phrase, what, uh, what thought comes to your mind? And I gave people the opportunity to respond. And I don't know, there were a lot of people who did. I don't know, maybe 100 just on the, the Facebook feed itself. And then there were, I don't know, maybe another hundred just on my private messages. I received a number of emails from folks. And it was really interesting. Obviously, because most of the people that follow me 
would agree with that statement. Probably most of you in here over in the venue, or maybe you're watching online, probably most of us would agree with that statement. But obviously, there were a lot of people who didn't. And I enjoyed um, hearing from them. Um, here were some of the comments that I got. Some said that it was a very intolerant viewpoint. And I could see from their vantage point how that could be true, how they might think that. Some said it was unfair. <clears throat> a lot of people said it was closed-minded. But without a doubt, the number one response that I got from those you know, who probably weren't members here or whatever was that you know, basically all religions lead to God, that there are many ways to get to heaven and be with God. They were worded something like, like, like that. What do you believe? Is there only one way to God? Is there only one way that you will get to heaven? Or are there many ways? Do all religions kind of take different roads or paths, but you end up at the, at the same place? Now, here's another question that I want to just throw out. To, to you. What do you base your belief on? That's a, that's a deeper question. We probably all have some sort of belief. I know what 98.6% of you believe in this room, okay? I get that. But what do you base your belief on? In other words, if you think that there are many ways to get to heaven, or you think that all religions you know, lead to heaven, what do you base that belief on? <clears throat> Let me give you an example. Somebody wrote to me and said that they had read a book by Oprah Winfrey, or they saw a TV show or whatever that she did, where she laid out the reason why everybody gets to go to heaven. And they based their belief on that, which I appreciated. They just didn't throw out, well, here's what I believe, without giving any empirical evidence, if you will. It's easy to share something, but then to come back around and say, here's why I believe in it. And we can say, well, that's crazy, Oprah Winfrey, really? But at least they, they, they gave me the reason why they believed it. Uh, I remember one time many years ago that um, a person told me that they had gone to a psychic who told them that all religions went to heaven, and they based their belief on that. Once again, I get it. Most of us in this room would say, well, that's kind of weird and crazy. But at least they shared why they believed what they believed. And I, I always appreciate that. Maybe you've been studying the writings of some particular religious leader, and they lay out the, the case why everybody gets to go to heaven. Certainly there are lots of books written on that topic. Maybe you had a vision uh, or a dream once. I remember a, a couple who told me that they both had the same dream on the same night. And basically this dream was all about how, you know, everybody gets to heaven and they knew their parents were in heaven and because in this vision or this dream that they had had, 
God, you know, spoke to them or whatever. Maybe for some, you got an uncle uh, or, or, you know, a neighbor, and they have, you know, told you, you know, that everybody gets to go to heaven. Point is, what do you base your belief on? And that's, a, that's an important question. Now, because I'm truly interested in what you believe, and I think you should be able to articulate what you believe, I mean, it's pretty serious stuff, I'm going to give you my email address, and it's rickc at bvg.org. And I want you to take the time and articulate to me why you believe what you believe. And last night, I want you to know, I received a lot of really, really great emails already. I was reading some last night, read some this morning, okay? I want you to tell me what you base your belief on. And I promise you, I'm not gonna email you back. I'm not gonna get in an argument with you. That's not the point. I can't, I can't get back to everybody. It would be impossible. But I, I do want you to at least be able to articulate what you, what you do uh, believe. I promise you, I won't share your name with anybody. It'll just be uh, between us. Now, you're not allowed to simply say that you don't believe what I believe. You can't just go, well, I don't believe what you believe. Okay, I, I get that. I'm okay with that. In fact, I will tell you that the overwhelming majority of the people on planet Earth today, the overwhelming majority of the people that have ever lived on planet Earth, the overwhelming majority of the people that will live on planet Earth will not agree with me. I know that. The scriptures already tell me that. That's not a surprise to me that people don't agree with what I believe. So, so don't just say, well, I don't believe what you believe. Tell me why you believe in what you believe. Articulate that for me. And I'll look forward to hearing from, from, from you. Like I said, last night, this morning, just some really neat, neat thoughts. Uh, I, I was impressed with some of the things that were sent to me. Now, today what I want to do is I want to make clear what I believe, okay? And, and obviously, I want to make clear why I believe what I believe, okay? I want to share with you what I base my beliefs on. Now, you might disagree with them, but at least you'll know why I believe what I believe. I'll back it up, okay? So here we go. I believe that there's only one way anybody gets to heaven. I believe there's only one way that anybody will ever get to heaven to be with God, okay? Everybody look at John chapter one, or John chapter 14 and verse one, okay? Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, no, no we don't, Lord Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So, so how can we know the way? How, how, how is it possible, God, for us to know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's what the scripture says. 
I didn't write that. That's what the Bible says. In verse five, Thomas asked Jesus, you know, the, the, the million dollar question, Jesus, how can we know the way to get to heaven so that we could be with God? That, that's, 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 a weighty, that, that's a weighty question. Aren't you thankful that Thomas spoke up and asked that question? How, how can we know? How can we know that when we take our last breath here on planet Earth, that our next breath might be with the Lord in heaven? How, how, how can we know that? Look at verse six. Jesus said that he's the way to God. Jesus said that he's the truth of God. Jesus says that he's the life of God. Jesus said that no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. And I want you to ponder that for a moment. Just ponder that. No point in the preacher just moving on without giving you, those of you that took the time to get dressed and get ready and get your kids ready to come down here, to move on. That, that, that is something that you, you just need to think about for a moment. Jesus said that nobody's gonna get to the Father, nobody's gonna get to heaven, nobody gets there except through him. Now here's the deal, you don't have to agree with that statement. You don't have to agree with what Jesus said. You don't. But at least you know that Jesus said it. At least, at least you know where, where it comes from. You don't have to agree with it. But that's a pretty weighty statement. And we'll look at it a little bit more here in a minute. I want us to look at another statement that Jesus made in John chapter 10. I'm going to take us back a few weeks in our study. It says in verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. And, 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 and we're, we're, we're the sheep in this illustration, if you will. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. And then he says, I am the gate whoever enters through me, Jesus says, talking about him will be saved. You enter through me, Jesus said, you, you, get, to go to, you get to go to heaven. You, you get to be with the Father. And once again, I just want you to ponder that statement for a moment. Just let the word of God do whatever the word of God, you know, needs to do in your life. That's just crystal clear. You don't have to agree with it. I understand that. If you're watching out and, 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 you know, online or whatever, you don't have to agree with it. But it's crystal clear. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 3. I'm going I'm to take us back to, you know, a few months ago when, when we started our study in the book of John. It says, for God so loved the world that we're, 
world right there doesn't mean the globe. I think he does love the planet. He created it all. But the word world there means people, you. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's those that believe in him. They, they get to go to heaven and spend their eternity in heaven with the Lord, you see. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Once again, that's a, a pretty crystal clear statement. Romans chapter 10 says this, and I'm going to spend just a little bit of time here for a moment. Romans 10 says, all the scriptures, as the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him or believes in him, that's Jesus, will never be put to shame. In other words, give your life to Christ and, and, and you won't be let down kind of a thing. And then verse 12 says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And without a doubt, this is one of the clearest passages on how, uh, how to become a Christian in, in all of the Bible. It clearly tells us how a person is saved from their sin and thus able to go be with God in heaven. It's crystal clear here. Paul didn't say join the church and tithe and you get to go to heaven. He didn't say that. He didn't say be baptized and sing amazing grace and you get to go to heaven. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you know, give up all your bad habits and read the Bible every day and, you know, you get to go to heaven. He, he didn't say that. He didn't say take communion and go on a mission strip and, you know, you'll be able to go be with God forever in heaven. Didn't say that. Paul said two things. He said, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Now, one of the sad things, maybe, well, it is, it's just evil, is that some people, some churches, love to add to these two things. For some churches, it's believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and I don't know, don't go to R-rated movies, you know. That's just evil. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and speak in tongues. Doesn't say that. Doesn't even say believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and promise to never sin again. Man, aren't you glad it doesn't say that? Because we'd all be doomed. Now, both of these statements are important. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. To confess without believing really isn't enough, if you think about it. A lot of people will say, sure, I'm a Christian. I mean, I go to church every week, and I, I bring an offering every week, and I even sing in the choir every week, and man, I became a member of the church. There are a lot of famous people who profess to be Christians, but profession isn't, isn't enough. It's only half the story. You see, you also have to believe in your heart. Now, the word believe in the Greek is to trust in, to cling to, to rely on, to commit to. In fact, in Titus chapter 1, there's this really great bit of information that we're given. 
It says in verse 10, for there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. And then he says in verse 16, they claim to know God. They claim to know God. But by their actions, they deny him. You tend to see a, a lot of claiming to know God during you know, this season when somebody comes up and wins a Grammy or they win a Tony or they win the Oscar. I just want to thank God, first and foremost, for letting me you know, produce and make this crummy sexual movie that has nothing to do with God. And all it does is wrinkle up the flesh. I just want to thank him. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. Somebody wins an award for, you know, best album of the year. I just want to thank God. And then the album is just laced full of just crummy, crummy, crummy stuff. They claim to know God. And by the way, I don't know why I picked on the Oscars or the Emmys or whatever. It's a pretty easy target. Anyway, anyway. Uh, you see, these people that Paul is writing to here in Titus, they had a head knowledge of God. That's it. How many of you um, have a, a, a head knowledge of, of Hitler? Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. Let me, let me see. Okay, for all of you that raised your hand, does that make you a Nazi? Just because you have a head knowledge of who Hitler is? Of course not. And the same thing is true with God. You can have a head knowledge of God and not be a Christian. And, and, and the difference is, is, is commitment. That, that's the real difference. It's having a commitment to Jesus. It's putting your trust in Jesus. That's what makes the difference. Now, on the, on the other hand, to believe without confessing isn't enough either. There, there's no way that a person can truly believe in Jesus Christ, can truly understand what sin has done to them. To, they, they really understand that because of sin, they were, they were doomed to an eternity apart from God, apart from Jesus, apart from heaven. If you truly understand there's nothing you, you could have done to fix the problem of sin in your life, and you understand the implications of Jesus dying on a cross and being put into a tomb and three days later walking out of that tomb, and that that is our only hope of salvation. If you truly understand that, there's no way you can keep your mouth shut. No way. And it's not that you gotta become some, you know, preacher out on the corner of McHenry and Briggsmore. But certainly if you understand the implications of your life before Christ and the implications of what Jesus did and now the implications of what he's done when, when he came into your life, wow. You, you just... You just have to open your mouth and, and, and talk about them. Look again at Romans chapter 10. It says, as the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him, believes in him, will never be put to shame. Verse 12, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For, and here's a quote, 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I want you to know that's a quote from Joel chapter 2. In other words, how you were saved in the Old Testament hasn't changed when you get to the New Testament. It's just that in Joel chapter 2, they didn't know that the Lord was Jesus. They didn't know who the Savior was. They, they didn't know who the Messiah was. Everybody, all the great prophets in the Old Testament all prophesied and talked about the fact that God was going to send a Savior, God was going to send the Messiah and all of that. And how you were saved is you put your trust by calling on that name. Now, obviously, you get to the New Testament. Today in the town of David, what? A Savior has been born for you, right? We know what his name is. So how a person is saved, how a person will go to heaven, how a person will spend their eternity in glory is the same as it was in the Old Testament. You gotta call upon the name of the Lord. But I think it's what's interesting are those three words, anyone, all, and everybody. Who can be saved? Anyone, all, and everybody. Salvation from sin is a universal offer. Everybody has a chance to get in on it. Heaven is available to all. Everybody, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. John said this in another book that he wrote in the Bible. He said this in 1 John chapter 5, and this is the testimony. This is um, maybe a way I might say it is, here's the deal. Cut to the chase here kind of a thing. God has given us eternal life. God's the one who, 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 who thought this whole thing up. God's the one who has heaven, and, and, and that's where he's at. God's the one who's given us eternal life. And this life, this eternal life, you know, spending our eternity in heaven is in his son, Jesus. He who has the son, he who has Jesus, has the life. He who does not have the Son of God, if you, if you don't know Jesus, you just don't have the life. You don't, you don't have heaven. You don't get to go spend your eternity there. Now, there are a lot of things in between these two leather-bound covers that, frankly, I don't understand. Now, I've been reading the Bible and studying it for a long time. There's just a lot here. Just go, whoa, just boom. Head explodes, trying to figure it out. But the most important thing, what happens to you, you know, when you take your last breath, how do you get to heaven? It's crystal clear. God has made that absolutely crystal clear. The life is in his son. And if you have the son, if you've surrendered your life to the son, if, if you've given your life to Christ, if, if you've allowed him to be the CEO of your life, so to speak, you know what? God says, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make this permanent. You're going to spend your eternity with me. And if you don't have the son, you don't, you don't believe in him, you don't want him, you want to live life on your own terms, then God simply says, okay, then we'll just make that permanent too. Why? If you don't want me now, then why in the world would I force you to be with me forever in heaven? See, the choice is, is, is really kind of up to us in some ways. If you want Jesus, man, you got the life. 
If you don't want them, then you just don't have the life. It's a pretty, it's a pretty simple message. Now, what I'm going to say next is going to come to a shock to some of you, but Jesus isn't buddies and friends with everybody. Oh, Jesus is love. Yeah, he is. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 7. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he or she who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, when you're doing his will, when you're living out the scriptures, that's a sign that you really have allowed him to be the CEO of your life. That's the sign that you really do know the Lord, that you really have surrendered your life to Christ. Many will say to me on that day, you know, hey, Lord, didn't didn't we prophesy in your name and and in your name drive out demons and and in your name perform miracles and, I don't know, in your name sing in the choir or or in your name I was an usher or greeter or or in your name I, I, I served in a Sunday school class? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus is going to look at some people and say, I never knew you. Now let me give you a a deep, big, super weighty theological word that goes with that. Ready? Here it is. Yikes! (laughs) Man, that's something you don't want to hear. You don't want to take your last breath here and have Jesus say, I never knew you. Now, what does that mean? You see, Jesus knows everybody on some plane. The the Bible's crystal clear that when you were inside your mother's womb, he's the one who put you together. He's the one who gave you your toes and your fingers. He's the one who gave you your height, the color of your eyes. He he knows you uh, on that plane. That word knew right there is a very intimate word in the Greek. He's saying, you and I never had an intimate, personal relationship. You you never got to the point in your life when you recognized how crummy and ugly your sin was. You never got to the point in your life when you recognized you really needed me and I was the only one who could have ever cleansed your sin. I didn't know you in a personal way. You may have done a lot of things in my name, but you really never surrendered your life over to me. In John chapter 6, somebody asked Jesus a a great question. What must we do to do the works God requires? Wow, isn't that a great question? All right, what do we got to do, man? Hey, Jesus, okay, what's what's the gig? Give me the the to-do list. What is it that I have to do to make sure that when I do take my last breath here, and we all will at some moment, what's the gig? Tell me the four things, the eight things, the nine things, the, the big, you know, key to getting there. What is it, Jesus? 
And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And who did he send? Jesus. That's the work. Hey, listen, we as believers ought to go out and live holy lives. We ought to go out and, you know, be salt and light. And we need to be careful how we speak. And we need to be careful all those things. None of us are going to live it out perfectly. Certainly I don't. I'm very much aware of my sin. I don't always love the way I'm supposed to love. I don't always show compassion the way I'm supposed to show compassion. Sometimes I get angry and I just blow up. And the good news is, I guess, there are some of you who are going to remind me of those things. I don't live it out perfectly. And there are times I'm broken before God. Broken. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. There are many times when I've grieved him. Don't misunderstand me. We're all going to blow it at times. None of us are going to live a perfect life. But all of us should strive to be more like Jesus, to be more and more transformed into his image. I, I guarantee you, I'm trying. I, I fail. And you're going to fail. But we as believers are to continue to strive. But I want you to know something. The work of God isn't that you live a perfect life and you never sin and you never blow it and you never make a mistake. It's simply to put your trust in him. That's it. And then God begins to do a work in and through you. God begins to take his word as you read it and study it and meditate on it along with the Holy Spirit and he begins to do a work in your life. All of us are gonna struggle this side of glory, all of us. Doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or you walked with God for five minutes. We're all gonna struggle at times. But the work of God is simply that you would put your trust in Jesus. That's it. Jesus is the, the key that unlocks the door to heaven. Now, I know that some of you struggle with this thought. It seems like a very narrow-minded view, and I want you to know I agree with you. It is a very narrow-minded view, but it, it's the view that you find in Scripture. It's the view that you find from Jesus. And by the way, believe it or not, Jesus would even say it's narrow-minded. I, I shared this with you earlier in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus himself said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gate to life, the gate to heaven, the gate that's going to get you to glory, the gate that's going to you know, get you to be with God forever in, in heaven is very narrow, 
and the road is, is difficult, and only a few ever find it. I mean, Jesus himself is telling us it is narrow. It ain't an easy gig. Not easy. Man, the, the road that leads away from glory, the road that leads away from heaven, that road's packed. A lot of people are on that road. Man, the road that's gonna lead to life, the road that leads to, to heaven, it's narrow. It's narrow. Not many people get on it. Not many. So why Jesus, you know, what makes him so special? Why is he the key? Well, let me boil it down to maybe just one sentence or, or really six words that are absolutely pro profound, okay? And they will help you understand why he's the key and why, I don't know, why you're not the key. Why I'm not the key, okay? Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, I and the Father are one. Whoa. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. After he said that, by the way, the religious leaders picked up stones and they wanted to stone him. They were trying to kill him. You know why? Because he, being a mere man, was claiming to be God. That's what he was saying here. The religious leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying. You're trying to say that you're God? You see, the reason Jesus is the key that opens up heaven is because Jesus was God in human form. Here's the deal. You either believe that, that Jesus was God or you have to believe that he was a wacko lunatic liar. There, there's no middle ground. You can't believe that Jesus, you know, was a, was a great teacher or a, you know, a special prophet, but he wasn't God because great teachers don't lie. And Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be the only way you're ever going to get to heaven. I'm always amazed when somebody says, yeah, I think Jesus was a great teacher. Man, <laughs> that tells me you have no idea what he said, right? No, because <laughs> if you did, you would either go, man, he is who he said he is, and that's a God, and he proved that he was God when he walked out of the tomb, or you have to think to yourself, wow, that guy's nuts. That guy's a wacko. Who, who would make a statement like that? Here, here's the deal. I know that, as I said, 98% of you all believe that. M most of you over in the venue, you believe that. You're out in the cafe, you believe that. You're watching online, you believe that. Maybe you're listening on the radio, you believe that. But I have to believe that there might be a few of you, maybe even one, and for whatever reason, God brought you here. Maybe you just were driving by and you showed up here. Maybe somebody invited you. And today, whoa, something's happened. Your eyes have been opened to truth. I remember that day when it happened to me. And right now you're going, I, I don't know Christ. I don't know Jesus. I've never given my life to him. I've never surrendered my life to him. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray. 
and then I'm gonna go into the altar room, okay? And if you're over in the venue, you can make your way over into the altar room, and I'm just gonna be in there by myself. Our prayer team, prayer team, you're gonna be right up front here. So our pastors and elders and those of you that are part of the prayer team, they'll be up front here. So if you need prayer for something, come and see one of them. But if you're here and you wanna know Christ, you wanna give your life to Christ, I want you to just come in that room. And I love to pray with you. I got an email last night from a, a, a I think it's a guy, the name was Chris, I don't, I don't, so I don't know. But um, he said, man, my heart was beating last night. And I wanted to go into that room. I just wanted to go in. And I kept making my way and I, I couldn't do it. But I, I want to know the Lord. I want to know him. I said, hey, send me your phone number. You have my email address. And if for whatever reason you just can't muster up the juice to get in there right now, that's okay. God knows what's going on in here. They can always give me a call, and I'll call you. I'll take the time to actually call you up, talk with you, pray with you, okay? So why don't you stand over in the venue, why don't you stand and let me thank the Lord for our time. Jesus, I'm grateful, God, that you um, came into my life and forgave me of my sin. I'm thankful, God, that today your forgiveness is available for all the shenanigans of my life, which are many. I'm sure I speak for the rest of those that know you in here that we're grateful for your forgiveness. That you have cleansed us of our sins and continue to cleanse us of our sins so that someday we will spend our eternity with you because we know there's only one way we're ever gonna to get to heaven to be with, with God and that is through you and we're grateful, God. Lord, if there be one soul here or one soul over in the, the venue who needs you, may they make their way into the altar room. I'd love to meet them, love to pray with them. Give us a great afternoon and I pray this in your name, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Christ.